And we are live. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Hotelier Pulse Collective Session in collaboration with our founding members, guests, great hotels of the world, and our members, guest centric. You know, it's always great being on these sessions. I really enjoy talking with the guests that we have on, and today is actually really no exception. But before I introduce our guests for today, let me first bring in my partner in crime in these online sessions, Mr. Pedro Calaco, CEO of Great Hotels of the World and founder and CEO of Guestcentric. Pedro, how are you doing? Great to see you. Very good. Doing well. You're looking, you're looking very well. tanned. You're oh, very tanned. Have you been in the sun? I, no, I, I actually spent the long weekend in uh, in Paris, oh. walking around, uh, and um, it, the weather was beautiful. It was a great time to, to, to be in Paris, and the, the, the the city was bustling with people, honestly. Um, Americans, Italians, Germans. So really, uh, really good to see that uh, Paris is recovering also. Yeah, fantastic. I think hopefully now with summer coming that Europe will actually start to boom everywhere with a bit of luck. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, also, as I said, we have a really interesting guest joining us today. And coming in all the way from Tehran, Iran, is Mr. Mario Candiez. And Mario is the managing director at Espinar's Hotel Group based in uh, Iran. Mario, how are you? It's, it's great to see you. You're looking very presidential there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, when we work with pros, we try, we try to be as professional as possible. So we are, <laughs> hello to all of you. Uh, we are well, feeling well. Uh, the spirits are high. And uh, we are looking forward to a great, to a great uh, exchange. Fantastic. Well, it's great to have you joining us today, Mario. Welcome to the session. Now, you are a Portuguese expat living and working in Iran, and you have done so for the last five years. Is that correct? Is that very correct? Very yeah. correct. It's, Excellent. it's been like a, a roller coaster five years period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where exactly are you now? I mean, it looks so, uh, as I said, presidential. Where exactly? Which let property me, are you let in? Let me show you a little bit. So I am now presently uh, or physically at the Espinas Palace Hotel, which is our uh, flagship uh, hotel, 400-room property. And this is one of the conference rooms. It's a boardroom. Uh, next to the next to the to the main lobby of the hotel, uh, and of course we uh, we just wanted to uh, uh, be at our very best to all of you. So uh, we actually curated the set very very careful for all of you, uh, and also the best like a kind of a chic and modern uh, and also at the same time classic uh, vision of Iran, which uh, sometimes is not very well portrayed around there. Oh, that's fine. Well, it's very well received. We've already got some uh, okay signs and, 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 and hand gestures from Nima, Nima Farzina. So that, that's wonderful. The other thing I wanted to quickly ask you, Mario, was exactly how many hotels are you responsible for? And are they all in Iran? Yeah, well, uh, this is a small, uh, small hotel group. It belongs uh, to an Iranian family, the Amiri family. Uh, it's a real estate family. Uh, they are my shareholders. Uh, and these three hotels, they are in Iran. So it's two hotels in the, uh, in the capital, in Tehran, and one up north in the Caspian Sea. Mm -hmm. uh, and this family has been developing uh, the real estate business hand in hand with, uh, with the hotel business. And uh, the point of coming over was actually to uh, consolidate these three hotels, uh, was to also assist in launching the Espinas Palace because it's the newest one. 
It's only six years old. It's a, it's still a baby. Uh, the, the the shareholders they had this uh, ambition to to build a, like the, the new layer of uh, luxury hotels in the country, which they actually did. And now there is even a fourth hotel in the pipeline with uh, 640 rooms uh, that we are just about uh, to start now. So the, the foundations of the construction of that hotel also in Tehran just starting now. So, so mm-hmm. far there is this uh, somehow just a mono country uh, business, but also the vision is to expand regionally first and then uh, towards the West and uh, the Far East on a, on a second layer of expansion. Okay, sounds sounds very interesting. Now, as I said earlier, it's not every day we have an opportunity to speak with folks like yourself based in countries like Iran. So could you tell us a little bit about life and the hospitality industry in Iran? Wow. Okay, so we, we, we will talk five hours about that, but I'll try to go in a half a minute. Uh, I'll make it a minute, know, that's fine. <laughs> Iran, Iran is uh, twice the size of Turkey uh, and five times the size of Germany, just to give you a sense of geography. Okay. Yep. Um, and as Turkey normally goes up to 40 million tourists on a normal year without Corona, 40 million, Iran still goes uh, into the five to six million. So this is the size of the opportunity as we see it, right? Yep. Um, Iran is... Uh, pretty developed in terms of domestic tourism. Uh, So there is, of course, a huge footprint of hotels. At this point in time, the country has uh, around 1,500 hotels uh, scattered around the country. Uh, Towards the south, you have all the islands uh, in the Persian Gulf, uh, like Heshm or Kish. Up Up in the north, you have all the tourism that correlates with the Caspian Sea, from where the caviar comes from, right? And we have a small hotel over there in the north as well. Um, so there is huge flows, huge flows of, uh, of the Iranian population domestically. Uh, now we are talking about, about more than 35 million domestic travels in one year on average, wow. uh, which goes uh, by car, train and uh, aircraft as well. So there is a big airlift, domestic airlift over here, mm-hmm. around 20 airports in the country. So uh, it's domestically, it's very vibrant, international. Still, there is a, you know, big opportunity, big opportunity. We are pretty focused on both of them. Uh, And of course, then it goes um, more or less like in Europe, the domestic tourism, there is its peak, peak seasons. And also uh, everything that relates, for example, this long holidays, which now next week we are experiencing one. So there is huge shifts of the population. To give you a sense of size, Tehran, metropolitan area, it's 17 million population. And we have uh, 5 million cars coming in and out of the city every day. So, uh, and that tourism plays also a little bit of a role in there, right? So uh, in a nutshell, uh, this is Iran in terms of tourism. Uh, What we see is a big opportunity in terms of brands coming in which uh, also because of this uh, geopolitical normality around here, uh, it's never the road from A to B. It's never straightforward. It's a bit, you know, uh, but um, 
brands eventually will gonna come international brands uh, after we fix this issue now with the with yeah. sanction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, most most of the supply, most I would say more than ninety percent of the supply is is Iranian. So it's the mesh. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we see these things as positive from one side because the the, the tourism sector exists and functions. Uh, on, on, on the other side, there is big room to, to expand and our shareholders and I and the teams as well, we are very focused in capturing the opportunities for that. An interesting topic here, uh, which is very not like in the West or in the Far East, is that the, the Iranian econo economy, it's uh, almost 80% of the economy, it's public sector. So uh, the bigger players in terms of hotel supply uh, the, the, the biggest Iranian hotel chains, they are uh, publicly owned. So they are owned by government or by uh, government-related institutions or foundations. So they are our main cap, uh, competitors. And we are a small private sector group. Uh, so we have challenges, right? Because they compete based on, on, uh, on incentives and motivations that are not only just for profit, right? And we, we need to survive with the, with the value and the, the resources that we generate ourselves. Yep. So this, this makes the, the fight, let's call it like that, a bit more challenging than there. Uh, but again, still here we are. Very good. Well, I, I got to say, that sounds uh, fantastic. And, and as I said, it's really wonderful having you joining us today. So thank you for taking the time and for being here. It's a pleasure. And to everyone tuning in, thank you. It's also great to have you joining us. Um, please feel free to comment in the, in the comment section and, and uh, ask any questions for Mario or Pedro as we discuss today's session. And please also make sure that you address who you'd like the question uh, to. So put an at to uh, so that we know who the question is directed towards. And of course, if you want to download the report, Leah will add the link into the comment section for you all to access. So please also, if you are a hotelier and would like to be a part of future reports, Leah will also put the link where you can access that. So you can pop in your, your uh, data and information. Obviously, the more data and the input we get for these reports, the richer the end result is. So if you're a hotelier out there, don't be shy. Join the party. All right, Pedro, let's get the ball rolling and talk about some highlights from the 24th edition of the Hotelier Pulse Report. What have you got to, to kick us off? So um, I, I would like to say that, you know, it looks like uh, people are getting more optimistic. They're still moderately optimistic. I think people are a little bit gun shy, but, uh, but things are moving in the right direction, um, I believe. And if you look at, you know, uh, how people answered, um, so not looking at data yet, just uh, just looking at how people are perceiving um, uh, the future, um, there was an increase of people that said that people will get to 2019 by, by the end of 2022. Um, and, there's, uh, and there was a decrease of people that said that in 2023 or 2024 and after. So, so I think that actually optimism is setting in um, and that's really being driven by just higher occupancy and higher pricing that we're seeing across Europe and in the US. And we can see here that actually, since the pandemic started, I think almost all three segments are, are claiming now to be the most optimistic in terms of, of their future occupancy. And I think that's really a, a good indicator of what's coming. If, uh, if I can go back actually, and just show you sort of what we're seeing 
is that um, demand uh, trends it continue to be very, very strong. The orange line is 2022. The light blue line is 2019. And we can see that certainly in terms of booked revenue, and we converted it to euros. We could have converted it to dollars, right? We have customers in many geographies. So um, we're way above 2019 right now in terms of future look and demand. And even in terms of booked nights, uh, we had the typical Easter slowdown, but yep. things have recovered and we're remaining above 2019. So I think uh, things are looking very good from a forward-looking perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Mario, let me let me ask you now, obviously you mentioned before that the majority of your market is domestic, but in, in relation to that, and obviously you've been affected by the pandemic as well, how optimistic are you about your hotel's business performance over the coming year and, and, and specifically why? Uh, thanks for the question, Andre. Uh, you know, we, in the Middle East, we learn to build resilience, right? Uh, so by default, we need to be optimistic, uh, although optimism or pessimism, they are not really strategies, but uh, they are kind of this uh, inner energy, let's call it like that. Uh, and um, in, specifically in Iran, um, three years ago, three and a half years ago, we had um, uh, you know, a huge hit uh, by the secondary sanctions of Trump, right? And uh, that thing, uh, when, uh, if you remember, there was a three months uh, lag between, or lead, let's call it like that, between the announcement of the sanctions and the moment that they were actually made effective. Uh, and when this kind of uh, rhetoric started to heat up uh, between uh, Trump and, uh, and us over here in the Middle East, over here in Iran specifically, we, uh, we immediately re-engineered our entire distribution. Uh, so we focused immediately. We forgot Europe because we knew that we would, we, we would take a hit and we forgot China. And our markets two to five, they were China, Germany, Italy, France, right? So imagine. So we immediately refocused um, into the proximity markets, which at the time were uh, Iraq, Turkey and Lebanon as, as the, the secondary feeders for here. And, uh, and of course, we went even deeper in the domestic market, which is our bread and butter. Yep. So at the time, uh, the Iranian market was 60% of our mix uh, in terms of nationalities. Uh, and then with the, when the sanctions hit, the other markets disappeared and, and Iran became 90%. So imagine the risk of us having 90% of our eggs in just one basket. But again, mm -hmm. better than no eggs at all, right? Um, and so we went into Turkey and Lebanon uh, and we really tried hard to, to compensate. Um, and then when, the, 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 when Corona hit uh, for us, as you remember, we had even some pre-war uh, phenomena. There was this, uh, the killing of General Soleimani. Uh, there was the shot, uh, the, the Ukrainian Airlines was, was shot. So we were in the middle of all of that and trying still to look at our objectives without getting distracted by all that external friction. So uh, we focused on those uh, on those markets. When Corona hit, also those markets disappeared. So, you know, the Iranian market became almost like 97 percent of our of our uh, uh, of our demand. Let's call it like that. So wow. we were already prepared or vaccinated, if you want 
by the, the, the secondary sanctions of Trump. So when, the, when the, the pandemic hit, mostly we had one bad quarter, right? So uh, right, right there at the beginning. So it was challenging three months, but we made a small layoff compared to, the, to what happened in the West uh, and even in the Far East. And, uh, you know, on the fourth month, we were already on track to our own targets. And we finished the year uh, in, a, in a relatively very strong, uh, very strong performance. So now we are into that trajectory. We are now, for the ones who don't know, uh, Persia or Iran has its own calendar. And we are now, uh, the, the Farsi calendar, we are now on the first, in, in the second months of the, of the new year for us. So we are just starting. You right. guys are on the, almost on the fifth months of the year. Uh, and we are looking forward with a with a huge ambition. Um, we we had a growth expectation for last year of eighty percent. We grew two hundred and ten percent, and this wow. year we have a seventy five percent growth expectation relative to the previous year. Wow. So um, on on the fifth months after Corona hit, we were already at pre Corona levels. And this only with, um, uh, with the internal supply, so just with the domestic market. So we are thankful for the efforts of the Iranian population. They kept traveling, even with all the challenges, even with the devaluation of the real as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and luckily for us, uh, we, uh, we are a high reputation brand here uh, in the Middle East. Uh, we were very visible, also very aggressive in terms of uh, overall marketing, social media. Uh, and so uh, we ripped off the rewards of that. So we are optimistic relative to this year, but as a trend coming from full year last year, where these hotels were doing close to 80% occupancy in the year uh, and the normal in the Middle East, the average pre-corona was 66. So uh, we are benchmarking also relative to the uh, proximity markets around here, the more mature tourism destinations. Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Oman, uh, and we uh, we compare fairly well. So uh, we are optimistic, okay. and of course with our eye on the ball, because uh, as I said in the beginning, optimism is not a strategy, and uh, we need actually to build the result those results over there, and they yeah. will not happen by themselves. So we have to capture them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very good. Okay. And Pedro, uh, with this slide here, we're looking at domestic versus international. So, right. Uh, so obviously we're not at 97%. And I think even during Corona, we were never at 97% in, in Western Europe and in the U S oh. but we were at 50, close to 50%, which was, um, very sort of bizarre for many of our hotels. Uh, I think what we're seeing here is that as you know, the winter became you know back to lockdowns and so on. We saw the the domestic market grow again and grow you know to the high forties, and now it's going to it's oh sorry it's trending down uh, again. Uh, apologies, it's trending down again to more of the twenty to twenty five percent where it normally sits at. So I think also as the summer arrives. As the Northern Europeans start flying south, we're going to see more of this trend continue. Uh, still on, 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 on nationalities, as, as, as Mario was talking about Iran and, you know, 
trying to get some markets around there. I think that there's there's two two cuts that are interesting to see is, you know, in terms of our international travelers on our system uh, for 2022, where do they come from? And the U.S. is by far the number one source of international travelers for our hotels. Then the U.K., then Germany, then France, Spain, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Ireland, Belgium, Italy. So you see that, you know, these are sort of the traditional source markets with the U.S., the U.K., and Germany uh, very strong up there. I think it's interesting to see that there's actually a different mix in terms of the channels that some of these nationalities prefer, right? And mm-hmm. on the direct channel, the number one is the US and then the UK and then Germany. On booking.com, it's actually the UK, Germany, and Spain. On Expedia, mm-hmm. it's almost only US and a few Brits. And then on the GDS, it's the US, UK, and Brazil. And I think it's interesting to see that Expedia remains a very US-centric channel, um, which, which is, you know, if you're trying to get Americans onto your system, onto your property, you probably should be on Expedia. Looks but like if it. you think that, it, yeah, but if you think that Expedia is going to bring other nationalities, uh, probably not. Now, last but not least, still on this issue of domestic versus international, uh, ADR has been extremely strong, and I have some data on that. Uh, uh, in 2022, I'm not sure that one of the reasons, but you know, potentially one of the reasons is that uh, the, there's a huge gap in ADR for our European hotels between domestic and international bookers. So if you look there, for instance, last week, you know, the average uh, uh, daily rate for a, for a domestic traveler was 100 euros and for an international traveler was 152 euros. So actually sort of an uplift of 50%. And also very interesting, in the US, it's actually the other way around. The domestic travelers are more willing to spend than actually the international travelers. And there's a, the gap there is reversed uh, and it's 15%. So just uh, some curiosities here. Yeah, are you, um, based on people that you know within obviously operational side of things, are you hearing specific reasons why that would be the case? I mean, it's quite... It's quite a gap, isn't it, when you think about it? Well, um, I, I, we really haven't. Uh, so we're looking into this now, right, and trying to understand. This gap has always been there, especially in city center hotels. Um, but but that it's widened this much. I think what's happening is that people that are jumping on planes, this is, you know, our sort of talking to some of our customers, right? People that are jumping on planes, they really want to have an experience. Um, and there, so this is not necessarily a difference in, in, in buying the same room for different prices because that really doesn't happen, right? It's that people really upsell them and are trying to get premium um, uh, categories of rooms, um, which, which then obviously drives more ADR. Mm-hmm. Mario, how, how, was, how would you say that you guys held your ADR during the last two years? Was that something that you tra- treated as a priority? I mean, what was your approach towards that? Uh, well, just adding to what Pedro was saying, uh, uh, here in Iran, it's it's pretty similar to the U.S. So the the, the domestic market actually has higher ADRs than, than the international market, which is very unbelievable. But it also relates, of course, to the to the channels. You know, for for example, the domestic market goes more into walk-in purchases. Of course, the ADR for for that kind of market segment is higher. So. So this thing will bring the mix a little bit higher as well. 
Uh, also, now there is this shift. Uh, the Iranians are very digital, very uh, a lot into Instagram, uh, also a lot into Telegram, not so much into into Facebook uh, or TikTok. Uh, but again, the, the mix plays a role over there in, in that type of VDR. And of course, we try to, to build on it further and further. So we don't want to get just dependent of, of that one market. We want to diversify the entire mix. But, uh, but again, the, the, fortunately, we have this strong structure that allow us to, to, to go into ramification of markets uh, and to have some oxygen along the way. Because sometimes, as you know, we want to, to develop a certain market, uh, like we are going to try to do a few uh, two weeks from now in the Arabian travel market uh, in Dubai. Uh, but again, th those, those markets, they take time to, to, to come into fruition, right? So uh, we have this oxygen that allows us to, to play. But uh, one of, uh, one, still one of our key issues here is that uh, uh, the difference between our market number one and our market number two, it, so between Iran and Iraq, it's tenfold, see? And this is something <laughs> that we don't like so much. So, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> the difference is 10 times from wow. market number one to, to number two. Yeah. This is really not, a, in terms of business risk, this is not a, a healthy mix. No. It's better than no mix at all, right? Sure. Yeah. But this is not, not an healthy mix. So yeah. we are looking at all these things very, very, very carefully. Uh, we are putting a lot of pressure on, of course, on the direct channels as well. Uh, our website now is selling something north for these three hotels, something north of uh, 40,000 room nights a year. So uh, mm -hmm. it's already one, one third of our demand just from the website. Mm -hmm. And this thing was built in the last 40 years. Let's call it like that. See, mm -hmm. uh, And now we are just somehow riding this uh, digitalization in tourism trend uh, here in the region as well, because it was a very, very offline market, very offline market. Uh, and now we made it, we assisted in, in, in converting it into an online market. And of course we ripped the rewards first. Uh, then Corona came, all the other, uh, like the comp set and, and the, the competitors at large, they went into online, but now as Corona is fading away, they are going back into the old ways of offline uh, and we continue again with our mix. So we are OK. So we are just, you know, managing the channels and trying to go into the optimal mix as fast as possible and stay there uh, so that, you know, value keeps happening. Value keeps yeah. happening. Yeah. OK, excellent. We have a question also for you before we move on to the next section uh, from Joachim B Baptista. Joachim, thanks so much for joining us. And his question is, now that you are away from Portugal, how do you see the Portuguese tourism and the future there? Uh, you know, <laughs> hello, Joaquim. How do you do? Joaquim is a, is a former student of mine. I have many hats and one of them is that I was into academia as well. And so I have this... Uh, uh, you know, a uh, huge gr group of friends that, you know, they, I met them when they were youngsters and now they became managers. And so, so I'm very happy with that to be, to have been a small part of that. Uh, you know, I, I try to keep, a, you know, to, th to look at things on, with my left eye, with a microscope, my life, my right eye with a telescope. So I keep a little bit of a, uh, on the on the on the radar, I keep uh, a notion of what is happening in 
in Portugal and in Europe as well. But I am super focused in the Middle East and, and, and in Iran, yeah. of course, right? Yeah. In the surrounding, uh, in the surrounding uh, areas over here. And just to give you an example of how focused, let me just give you a few sound bites. So around here, we have Pakistan just lost the prime minister and is now in a little of a political crisis. Then we have Afghanistan that you all know what happened recently. We have more than a million refugees coming inside the country. Iraq is not stable. In Yemen, we have a war. Uh, Syria is still in civil war. Kurdistan and Iraq is in a war. And Azerbaijan and Armenia also got into, a, I think, a two-month war recently. So I keep my eyes really focused on here because our eggs are over here and I'm protecting the basket as much as I can, right? But as, as I go into the West and into Portugal, you know, Portugal has come a long way in tourism management. Uh, from, uh, I would say, 20 years ago, we didn't even know mostly what tourism marketing wa was. Uh, the National Tourism Organization was working, you know, very, you know, very unaggressively, let's call it like that. Everybody was doing the best, but they were not really focused uh, on tourism as uh, one of the key levers of, of, the, of the Portuguese economy. That thing has changed. You know, that thing has changed. So we, we, uh, we had issues with the, the great financial crisis and then Portugal went into the IMF rescue plan. We fixed the economy in a, in a span of two to three years. It hurt like hell. But it, it, uh, the foundations were somehow redesigned. And, and then there was uh, four or five years up until, the, uh, up until Corona, where uh, the statistics were growing double digit year on year, up mm. to record of records 2019. And the politicians in Portugal, they, they started to see the big numbers on, uh, on the Bank of Portugal statistics. So it was always services and tourism, services and tourism. This was very not normal for the Portuguese mindset, right? So, uh, so the sector re did really well. And, uh, and then, you know, Portugal started to understand that, that tourism had a huge multiplier effect and it would become one of the anchors in the Portuguese economy. So yeah. all that kind of intangible asset, let's call it like that, is still there. Of course, we suffered a lot with Corona, etc. cetera. Uh, but again, as things resume, I think Portugal is going to be one of the key winners uh, in, all, uh, in all of this, uh, you know, on the... As, as things start again, and even today or yesterday, I think or this morning or, or last night, this uh, Bloomberg alert, uh, Lisbon was again one of the most attract attractive places to live in. There's been huge investment in real estate from international funds over there as well. Yeah. All these things, they correlate with the uh, tourism inflows as well. At this point in time, also the supply. It's fully ready. It's branded. Uh, it's diversified. You have from classic hotels into boutique hotels. You have city hotels. You have lots of resort hotels. Uh, then you have the, the hostels where Portugal did brilliant, brilliantly as well. And also this uh, somehow long-term investment that the country has been doing in terms of uh, tech uh, with the Web Summit. All of these things, they play a, a role inside of our tourism cluster, right? So they correlate very strongly. Yeah. So I am very optimistic about Portugal. And uh, the more, you know, the, the, there is an alignment. Now you have a new president in the uh, Portuguese Hotel Association as well, Bernardo Trindade, just took over, I think, yesterday. 
So uh, this is all good signs, all good signs that things will compound as we go forward. So uh, I am bullish about Portugal as I am bullish about Iran as well. Very good. Very good. Thank you for that. Okay, uh, Pedro, a question I think maybe for you. Does uh, the channel mix apply to online sales only? And what are the percentages of online sales and the other offline sales? So, so yes, of course, this um, only applies to online sales. I'm, I actually wanted to take like a step back because, um, you know, um, Mario was talking about, you know, how you, uh, the channels are important and the channel mix and, and how it can be healthy or unhealthy. And, and obviously on our system, we only have what goes through our system. So we typically don't have offline um, reservations being put into our system. Most of the hotels do that directly in the PMS and therefore they're not available for our statistics. But if you look here, I think what's been happening is that uh, we had you know, a, very, um, a very big variation in mix during the pandemic. We're looking here at quarter by quarter um, because it, it's, it's good, it ends up being a good aggregation to see to see the data but if you compare you know what happened you know january through march of 2022 compared to 2019 what we see is that there has been a massive increase in the direct channel where it's now representing on average in the mix of our hotels that are part of this benchmark set that we use every month it represents 45 percent of the bookings in nights um whereas you know uh, two years ago or actually three years ago um, it represented 28% prior to the pandemic. And, and the growth has been really at the expense mostly of other channels like tour operators and DMCs, the GDS, and a little bit of Expedia and a little bit of Booking.com. And I think that's, hopefully this is here to stay that, you know, this seems like a good healthy mix to me. I would like to see the GDS go up a little bit because that just shows that there's weakness in corporate and that actually is hitting some hotels more than others that rely on corporate um, travel uh, for, their, for their mix. So on another thing, just to throw here another piece of data is uh, length of stay. We've been hearing a lot about length of stay in articles, talking about leisure and how leisure is going to you know, make lengths of stay longer. Uh, unfortunately, we're not seeing that in the system yet. Yeah, so the reality is, uh, our length of stay has been fairly stable through the pandemic at, you know, 2.8 uh, nights per reservation. We have a good mix of city center and, and, and resorts in, in the benchmark set. So, so that's why we're seeing that. And we really are not seeing yet, you know, that, that lengthening of people saying, oh, I'm traveling for business, but I'll stay an extra night for leisure or the other way around. I'm traveling for leisure, but I, I, and I'll add up on a night of meetings to that. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And I just want to give uh, Irina Pavlova a shout out for that question. Irina, thank you for that. And thank you for joining us. I hope, uh, hope the answer from Pedro was what you were looking for. Okay. So what else have we got then, Pedro, moving on? I, I, I think one, one of the interesting things that I always like to look at from a, a health perspective of the market is cancellations, right? And, and if you look here, you know, cancellations have, have, have stabilized somewhat. Uh, we are, uh, these vary widely by channel, as you can see. The direct channel traditionally is the one with least cancellations, with only 13% of all bookings being canceled. Booking.com is traditionally the channel that has 
the largest amount of cancellations which, with, with almost a third of the bookings canceled. And then, um, you know, if you look at where we are right now, we had a huge increase in cancellations in 2020, sort of, the, you know, at the height of the pandemic where yeah. it almost doubled. It went slightly down in 2021, and now we're back at 2019 levels. So from a health of the market perspective and health of the demand, things are looking very, very solid. Um, I did another cut at, at this and sort of tried to see, you know, are there differences in terms of the geographies? And there are, you know, very significant differences. So people that cancel most are the Brazilians and the Italians, upwards of 30%, even in 2022. And then the people that cancel least are the Danish and the Belgians and the Swiss. And, you know, even the Portuguese, which was a surprise for me. Uh, but, uh, but it's sort of interesting to see that there's actually quite a set of different behaviors from the consumers. And uh, as Mario was saying, you need to understand your source markets, their behaviors, and then act, you know, and create strategies accordingly to make sure that, you know, you're not um, caught red-handed with, uh, with surprise. So, yeah. so that's, that's sort of the, the other thing that I think is important to look at is, you know, not only the pickup and the demand, but also how many cancellations are happening. And I think, again, there we have good news. Cancellations are back to 2019 levels. So we should be in for a great summer. I think the yeah. big question mark is what's going to happen in the winter, right? Um, yeah, I think you're right there. All right, we have another question coming in from the audience. Arash Kalegi, I hope, Arash, I pronounced your surname correctly. Uh, question for Mario. According to the events and happenings of the MENA region, inflation, oil prices, war, and many other factors, do you envision a bright future for tourism in this region, including Iran? Well, thank you for the question again. Uh, Mr. Khaleri is an old colleague, a special colleague of ours. So hello, uh, Mr. Khaleri, good, good to hear and good to see you here. Uh, the answer is yes, uh, and it's not just an optimistic yes. Uh, as you know, we are hopefully about to re-enter the JCPOA, and this thing has, has a, a positive impact, not just uh, in Iran, but also in the broader Middle East. Uh, and at the same time, uh, while in Europe, when we say, oh, the oil price is going up, this is very bad. In Iran, <laughs> it's not like that. It's the oil price is going up. This is very good. So uh, this is an opportunity, right? This is an opportunity. So uh, the way we, we look at things is that, um, you know, in the Middle East, we are always prepared for, for uh, issues, right? So issues are the normal uh, the normal day-to-day. -day. So we anticipate more issues coming up. You know, if they will not come from Afghanistan, they're going to come from Iraq or they're going to come from somewhere, but they, will, they are going to come. Even in the places where we were not waiting for them to come, they came from, for example, Lebanon, which was like getting into our top five market. Uh, Lebanon uh, last year got, uh, got into the worst crisis uh, since the World Bank tracks crisis. 150 yeah. years ago, they started to track crisis. And Lebanon is the worst of all of them, imagine. Uh, so they lost 80% of, uh, of the value of their currency. So we lost that market. And also other countries lost that market. Then Turkey was also an important market. Last year, they lost 40% of the value of the lira. Yeah. And inflation now went up 60%. 60%, wow. imagine. 
So problems are always coming, right? Uh, and we need to build build resilience. So the the Middle East, the more the political game uh, play plays a lesser role, of course, the stronger the economies will go, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all the trouble, in the middle of all the, the, the troubling news that always go from here to there, uh, there are opportunities. And I remember a sentence from uh, one of the previous McKinsey uh, managing directors. They don't have a CEO, they have a managing partner, I think. Uh, the gentleman was saying that uh, in the TV or on the TV, it's always worse. So that when when we then we go and we visit the place uh, physically, uh, we see uh, this uh, sun sun rays, this kind of sunshine of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and here it's the same. So if you travel around the Middle East, uh, and actually now I have some friends traveling now. One of them is tra- going through Jordania now, a close friend. Uh, you know. This kind of news, they don't flow so much into there because what flows, it's always the, the conflicts and this because, you know, it attracts audiences more. But, right. uh, you know, below the radar, let's call it like that, below the line, if you want, uh, there is there is an economy going on uh, and uh, it generates value. For example, Iran, uh, the IMF forecast for this year in Iran is to grow the economy 3%. And again, we are under sanctions and the real was highly mm-hmm. devalued. And still, the economy will is resilient enough to grow three percent. Of course, the the, the 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 normal pace in an economy like this would be eight to ten percent, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that those three percent are not enough. But still, uh, there is some resilience built in, and we just as in, in microeconomic terms, we just try to capture as much value from that kind of thing as possible. Yeah, well, if anything, I think that 3% also shows promise and potential, without a doubt. Um, I also just wanted to quickly, while we still are on cancellations, I wanted to ask you as well, in terms of the Iranian market, are you able to give us percentages around cancellations in your area? No, no, for a specific reason. You know, it's it's very... it's very funny and at the same time, it's not very good for our heart pace, you know, because uh, the booking window here in Iran is uh, two days. Right. So this is the last minute economy. Right. There is no booking window. So things happen. The occupancy of these hotels three days from now, it's 10%. Imagine. So, so we build intraday pickups that go sometimes to 70% percentage points yep. see so this is very common so when i landed over here and i was looking at my my planning my reservation plan is so, well we are dead where, where, <laughs> where have i landed you know where have i landed but again things just kept kept running so i fast i got uh, very quickly i got used to that so we don't keep so much a track of these cancellations because this is just a last minute economy things happen spontaneously and now of course we have five years of data we built our own models uh so uh and we we actually don't monitor so much and in terms of length of stay as as pedro was saying here we are around 1.85 length of stay 1.9 uh, and this is also a trend. There is nothing more, much we can do to, 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 to go against that because, you know, the culture functions that way. 
right? Yeah. Even if we launch early bird discounts or, uh, you know, stay longer and you get bigger, this, this does not work. You know, what works is the day-to-day. -day. So yeah. we just adapted. We, we, we could not copy-paste the Western model into here. And, and that's also one of the reasons why we profited fast is that because we, uh, we adjusted our supply to the, to the realistic demand. Right, not to the one that we would love to have, and maybe yeah. it takes us ten years. <laughs> to make it, right? yeah. And so uh, that—that's what it is. At the yeah. same time, as we developed our own, you know, internal models during the Corona, we here at Espinas, we also uh, made a like a, a business venture, like a kind of a venture capital. Uh, we are now partners with uh, with Iranian with Iran's uh, biggest uh, PMS uh, software house called Optimate. And uh, through them, we have a partnership with, a, it's a daughter company called NetMinder, as in SiteMinder, but this is all Iranian <laughs> tech. Yeah. And now we are developing these companies and this software to slowly try to somehow model demand in the way that we are used to do there in the West. Right. Right. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Um, we have a, also a question from Rita Alves Machado uh, joining us. Rita, lovely to have you here. Thank you for being here. And a question for you, Mario. How do you see channel distribution evolving in the MENA region? I, I, is it more direct or intermediaries? And also, what about GDS? And you while know, you're talking, Rita, uh, Pedro's you. got a slide for GDSs, which Pedro, perhaps you might want to come into after Mario. Sure, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Rita. Good to see you there. Uh, you know, everybody wants more direct. This is like a default. Oh, we're going to go more into direct. Mark this, you know, because direct, because, you know, no intermediaries, no commission. You know, this is, I think, a bit of a crap, sorry to say. You know, I'm very, very face-to-face -face person. Uh, you know, the, the mix will evolve as is. I don't know which one is going to evolve faster, right? Uh, but as is, and we, we, we cannot live only with direct. Actually, this is one of our dreams over here. So we're going to go direct. Now we are happy. We are at 50% direct, 50% direct, 40% travel agencies. And then the rest is the rest, you know, institutionals or corporates. Uh, but but we, uh, we are looking at all the possible channels, all the possible channels. And I think my colleagues in the, around the Middle East as well. So uh, we, we're going to see a, a, you know, a resuming of business from, from, from all the channels. Of course, we want direct, but, you know, direct alone won't cut it. So for my colleague hoteliers, if they are, you know, selling these kinds of stories to their own shareholders, you know, this is a little bit of a fake story. What we have to have is, you know, aggressive strategies for each one of those channels, including your own channel, you know, great hotels of the world. As you know, we have been trying, we have been dating you for some years now. Uh, hadn't it been for the sanctions, we would have gotten married already, right? So I'm just waiting for this door to open and immediately we're going to jump into that. Great hotels of the world, leading hotels of the world, uh, Global Hotel Alliance. So we are all in favor of that. And uh, our colleagues in the Middle East, they, they have it because they are not under sanctions. But here in Iran, we need it as well. So uh, we, we are going to tread on their own foot, footsteps. And uh, as soon as we can, we're going to go into that as well as additional layers. So we don't want them to cannibalize what we have. We just want to build additional layers going forward. Very good. Pedro, do you want to talk about the numbers that you've got from your report? Yeah, so basically, um, so as you can see, the, the blue line is 2021, right? And we had really after the summer a good increase in GDS bookings, 
which then you know was shut down by Omicron. What we saw this year is that we did see. I'm sorry, uh, what, what happened here? Um, we did see the same pattern in terms of the increase in bookings in, in the early weeks of the year, but that has now plateaued. Now, that is obviously a little bit disappointing. We were expecting corporate to grow at a faster pace. So I think obviously we're at a much more reasonable level than where we were, you know, last year in the same, in the same period here, right? Because we were almost at zero and obviously we're now at, 40% or so of 2019, but 40% of 2019 is still, you know, very low level uh, compared to all other segments. So uh, the question is, is this going to improve as the larger companies decide to take on travel again? Um, and is that going to be only after the summer? So we're tracking the GDS bookings very, very closely. Obviously, we have recovered but not to the level that we're seeing in leisure where our anticipation is that this summer is gonna be the best summer ever in leisure. And certainly we're not looking at that sort of forecast for GDS right now. Yeah, yeah, okay, very good. We also have another question from the audience, uh, Mr. Alareza Aga. Again, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I apologize if I didn't. Mario, could you please give us a vision of hospitality in the future after uh, the uh, COVID pandemic and how do you feel people's behavior might be changing, if at all? Sure. Thank you so much, Mr. Ali Reza. Aha. That G-H is pronounced as in two R's. Aha. Aha. Okay. Aha. It's very difficult for us to say it, right? It took me like one year just to integrate that kind of thing in, uh, into my vocal <laughs> cords. Uh, now it's close. It's close. You know, it's close. <laughs> You know, after the pandemic, uh, you know, world, you know, world is always changing, right? As they say, uh, change is the, is the only constant. I think it was Hippocrates saying this thing 500 BC. Uh, so uh, just just get used to go with the trends, right? Uh, there there are there is some uh, disposable income now. Well, that that the, the 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 population or or the consumer, let's call it like, they will use it for tourism purposes as well. This will this will will be an opportunity. But I think I don't see any major you know tectonic shifts in the way the consumers were consuming before and after Corona. You know, a little bit more of I, uh, hygienic concerns, uh, safety concerns as well. But this goes, you know. Um, I just turned 50 recently and I've been through a number of crises. So when I came out of hotel school, it was the, the Gulf crisis where Iraq got into Kuwait. Then it was, uh, I don't know, the September 11. Then it was the great financial crisis. And we are always talking, oh, the future, what's going to happen? What's going to happen if people will continue traveling? You, you see these mega trends happening. Uh, travel, travel is part of... Uh, uh, modern societies, or if you want from emerging uh, economies going into more uh, mature economies and advanced economies. So, uh, and there is supply, there is supply for that. Uh, then, of course, there will be innovations in terms, for example, of uh, uh, tech or in terms of uh, uh, maybe Twitter now with Elon Musk will go into travel as well. We don't know. <laughs> merging thing. Maybe there is an opportunity mm -hmm. over there. Uh, but either way, we will have supply for all of that. And if we don't have supply, we will build it along the way. 
So uh, no problem about that. I just see, I just try to be focused, uh, just try to focus on the ball, you know, to use a football metaphor. And uh, if the ball moves, I'm going to move into there, like play to where the puck is going to be. And that's yeah. what I recommend the fellow colleagues to do as well. Yeah. Very good. Good recommendation. Okay, well, we're coming close to the uh, the top of the hour. So, Pedro, uh, I know you've got a couple more slides. Do you want to maybe talk? No, I just, want, I just wanted to do one one parting slide good. and leave everybody with an optimistic uh, view Very good. Uh, of, uh, of how pricing is strong for 2022. This is clearly a, um, a consequence of the strong demand that we're seeing across the board all geographies, all segments of hospitality, right? We have, you know, very small economy hotels, very large luxury hotels in our portfolio, and we're seeing this across all segments. So demand is very strong. The hoteliers were able to keep ADR through the corona pandemic, which, which is now reflecting in much better, you know, financial performance than I think people were anticipating in January or February. I, I, I we predicted that you know the first half of the year was going to be 70 to 90 percent of 2019 and that the second half of the year had the potential to be better than 2019 and i think that's where we are we continue yeah. to look you know at the same sort of forecast and uh and i do believe that you know there's been a lot of good news and uh and i, and I hope that that will continue yeah it's it's good to see isn't it i have to say that's uh, very very promising yeah all right um before we wrap it up, we have one final question. Um, I'll bring, bring it in because Michael Madison is uh, a great supporter of us and it's great to see you here again, Michael. So thanks for being here. A question, Mario, for you is, could you speak about ancillary revenues? So for example, food and beverage, how important is that? Do local markets engage and do you market them specifically? Great question. Well, thanks, Michael. Thanks so much, Michael. Uh, thank you for uh, being on board. Uh, you know, here, ancillary revenue, it's not really ancillary. It's really the, the main pillar or the main structure. Uh, you know, in, in, in sales mix of in this uh, kind of hotel, city hotels, large scale hotels over here, 500 rooms, 300 rooms, uh, F&B plays a huge role. Uh, just to give you a, a number, this year, uh, our target in the sales mix of food and beverage, 65% of the sales mix. So you can only imagine. We are talking about massive, massive F&B operations, uh, huge banqueting operations. The average average banquet uh, in our hotels goes around 600 persons. So it's a large economy, 80, 85 million population. Uh, so uh, the, the scale is there. Uh, so uh, we are all for ancillary revenues. We consider them critical, of course, in terms of profitability. They, they, they don't contribute as much. Uh, mm -hmm. to the to the total bottom bottom line as rooms but still they are super critical and of course in terms also of cash flow they are very 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 uh, uh, very uh, central to our uh, value generating process right we are all for that we we are there is a trend now Tehran is following the the other mega cities in terms of new restaurant models as well lifestyle restaurants uh, we we started our own restaurant brand, Sky Lounge, was for rooftops, uh, going very well. Last year, we, we served 120,000 guests just in that restaurant alone, imagine. 11,000 guests per wow. month. 
So uh, 320 covers on average per day through the year, just in one restaurant. This gives you a, a notion of thing. A hotel yeah. like Espinas Palace last year went over 1 million meals one, all together, restaurants and banquets, etc. So it's super critical, super important. It's very bullish and it is re, re, re-engineering itself. And we are the ones somehow surfing this wave in trying to import concepts or when we cannot import them, we build them ourselves. Excellent. Very good. Well, I think on that note, gentlemen, I will uh, wrap it up. Thank you, um, Mario, again for, for joining us. We, we, we really do appreciate and I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation Lovely. with you today. Thank um, you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And Pedro, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you for, for, for being thank here. You. No, thank, thank you, Mario, for bringing a, complete, a completely different view of what hospitality is about. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Definitely. And of course, to all of the viewers and everyone that tuned in and for your questions and your comments, many thanks to you as well. And uh, don't forget to check us out for next month. We'll be back again with next month's uh, Hotelier Pulse Report. And of course, as I said before, if you're a hotelier and you'd like to be a part of the process, please make sure you click in the link that uh, is in the comment section that Leah will put in there for everyone. And of course, you can download the report as well from the link that Leah put in earlier. So I think until then, everybody, we will say Alfida Zen, goodbye and choose. And, uh, exactly. <laughs> and uh, wish you all the very best. Enjoy, enjoy uh, the rest of the day. Thanks, everybody. Bye for Bye now. now. Thank you. Bye-bye.